Caden Co PR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to The Press Office with Caden Copiar, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Another episode of The Press Office with Caden Copiar and another pinch me moment because in this episode I get to chat to someone that I really look up to in the media and one of my favourite people to follow on social media, Maria Thetil. Now Maria came into the spotlight as a former Miss Universe Australia And since then, she has really broke down boundaries of what this role as a media personality, influencer and content creator really looks like and has become someone who is so ingrained in the Australian media industry as a commentator on so many issues that she is really passionate and outspoken for. Also, before I get on to the interview, Maria has recently released a book Unbounded, Manifesting a Life Without Limits. And I strongly recommend you go and read that if you want to know more about Maria and her journey. This conversation is honestly one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on this show. So with that, I think we just need to dive right on into the episode. So let's get on to the interview. Welcome to the press office with Caden Copiar. I am such a huge fan of yours. And as I said before, you have been killing it recently. So I feel really lucky to be chatting to you today. No, the pleasure is all mine. I love Kate & Co. I always send my loved ones your way and we've worked together for so long. So it's just, it's a joy to have been able to find time to have this chat. I know it's been a long time coming. So I'm really excited to get into it. And firstly, You are quite the slashy. You're a model, an influencer, an author, a writer, a presenter, former Miss Universe. What do you actually say when people ask you what you do for a living? It's so funny. It's like, it's such a hard thing to do. And it's funny that you asked me this because I'm working through it as we're redeveloping my website. And I'm like, how do I tell people what I do? So honestly, like the the quickest summary to give people a sense of what I do is I often tell them, you know, I, I work in media in many different capacities. And then I'll just sort of let them know I was Miss Universe Australia in 2020. And I use that to launch you know, a multi-hyphen career in media where I write, I speak, I present, I create, and all of it is rooted in purpose and in service of values that I have around inclusivity and diversity and sparking a bit of change. And I, I feel like that sums it up. I can't wait to get into your career with you because it has literally just gone from strength to strength. And, you know, looking back at one of the things that people refer to you as is an influencer, what do you think of this term? And I guess there is, you know, these negative connotations that go with it, but I do think you're someone that actually really challenges 
the negativity of that term with all the positivity and good things that you do on your platforms. Thank you. Yeah, I used to find influencer to be an. Inter- I, f- I find it very interesting when people describe me as an influencer and a model, and if that's the only things they choose, model because I don't model. Um, <laughs> like I, so a lot of the modeling gigs that I get when I say front the camera for brands, it's usually for a cause or it's because of my profile. It's not because I'm a model, and like the modeling jobs are far and few in between compared to everything else. But influencer, I don't let it get a rise out of me because I understand that people have misconceptions. But to a degree, I guess, yeah, you could say I'm an influencer by the traditional term. I have the social platforms. I use it to work with brands to influence something. But the reason I I don't mind it and I like to use that term to open up conversation is I like to think of being an influencer as like, well, what am I actually trying to influence? And with a lot of my brand partnerships, for example, like take Olay, like I have been an ambassador, you know, with them for say three years now, but they are so strongly aligned to my values. For example, I'm a very big advocate for LGBTQIA plus issues and rights. And they designed an entire campaign around coming out and being queer in a family that is ethnically diverse, that's culturally conservative, that's religious. And we are putting out stuff that we hope is influencing people to be more inclusive and open-minded. So if people want to call me an influencer, that's fine. But they'll never find work that I've done that isn't purpose-driven or connected to a very consistent message that I've been putting out since the start. So I don't, I don't mind it. I, and I think for people who look down on social media or content creation, that's not my issue. It's such a valid and booming economy and it's the way of the world. It's how people effectively market. And if you want to, you know, scoff at it, I think that's a little bit silly because there's so much opportunity there. That's such a great way of putting it because, you know, I think often, you know, the negativity around that term often comes with not really actually understanding what the job entails. And like you mentioned too, you're working with a brand such as Olay and something that aligns with your your beliefs. Is that something you really look for when you're working with new brands and partnerships? A hundred percent. You would be surprised how often my team and I say no to things just because a brand has done something or said something, or perhaps they don't live by values they purport to live by. Like and very often brands will come to me because of what I stand for. So they'll want to work on campaigns that in some way have a positive impact. But if this particular brand, for example, and I've, I've had them come to me where they say, we love what you stand for, diversity and inclusion, but their entire team is white. And every single campaign only features able-bodied people or this, that, or the other. It's like, well, I, I don't think that we're going to align. So we'll say no. And I think it's it's wonderful to have the opportunity to, to change the way people think about it. For some reason, people just have this idea. And there are people who, you know, maybe that's all they want to do when they're influencing that people often joke about the vapid skinny tees or back in the day, like it's, oh, you just take hot photos and that's all it is or bikini shots. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. If that's your brand, that's your brand, but it's marketing and people who get paid to be influencers, they are designing content, they're curating brand messages, they're editing, they're producing video. It takes a lot of talent to do this and do it well. And so for me, like, yeah, I I partner with these brands and I'll creatively, you know, direct the campaigns. I will write the scripts. I feature in it. Um, I have a say in editing it. So it's like you're producing, you know, marketing assets. 
you're getting a message across and you're influencing people. So I'm proud. I'm proud to be able to say I get paid to do that because I love it. Well, I think you should be proud too. And one of the reasons why I love following you is that you often share, you know, your personal experiences and your opinions and they're very relatable on, you know, in different, you know, schemes of themes, you know, whether it's like inclusivity or diversity. But even just recently you were posting about harassment at uh, World Pride, which unfortunately your brother had to endure, and you just posted about it again. Is it hard for you to always share this personal side of your life on social media? It is, and I'm learning healthy boundaries. I think when I first started, say, five, six years ago, before Miss Universe, before I was in media, I just worked in HR and we'd share a little bit. I realized that I was able to start to build a community when I would share personal experiences. And this is something that I'm just going to be super frank about, especially as a person of color in Australia, in media, and, you know, with a profile. For so many of us, just to have the same opportunities or get noticed, we have to be 50 times better than the competition and be freaking extraordinary just to get looked at. But not just that, we often have to give up parts of ourselves just to be heard. And it's not as easy for us to make it in these spaces. Like I'm not going to be given opportunities to anchor or be on TV or do this if I don't have something to say. And a lot of the opportunities that have come up for me, it's because I share my life and now people are invested in me as the brand. Would I have been as successful as Miss Universe Australia or having the TV career and the book and the columns if I wasn't giving these parts of myself? I don't know. And I don't think that's necessarily fair, but that is the landscape for people of color. I think a lot of people of color who are trying to cut it as influences or come up in the world, they will resonate with this. They have to give up parts of themselves just to be heard. And I do think that we can stop talking about diversity and inclusivity when it's fair and the opportunities are equal, but until then it's not. So I do find it hard. But there's also, that being said, so much reward in being able to live life and share things I've been through if it means it's making it easier for someone else. And to get those kinds of messages every single day, it is such a blessing. It's so humbling and very rewarding. It's, you know, my why. I just think you sharing your stories would help so many people who are in similar positions and there would be so many young girls looking up to you. And recently you were on the cover of Stella magazine with your girlfriend and you wrote this beautiful caption on Instagram being somewhere along the lines of how proud you would have been as a young South Asian woman seeing this beautiful woman alongside her girlfriend on the cover Have you had time to reflect on that now? Like what would that have actually meant to you as a young girl growing up? Oh, so much because you can't like when, you know, can you call to mind a time where you've seen an interracial same-sex couple on the cover of like a national Australian magazine? It's like, you know, uh, just for that reason, the impact, the visibility, the representation, but also like to be in a, a time in Australia where, my love was celebrated. Like I love Georgie and she is one of the best people I've ever met. And the love and healing she has brought me is just profound. And to be able to model that, not even from like, say like a queer or like an interracial perspective, just modeling like healthy love. I think that's really 
wonderful. And I, it, I do think very often, like even getting, you know, I recently hosted the project and I'm, I'm on the Today Show every second week giving my opinions on things. Like I can't imagine being a young kid and getting to turn that on and be like, oh, what's she saying? You know, it's okay to speak your mind or there is a place for you to, to not just be a guest but to host, to be seen as this. And it's like the impact is profound because you can't, you can't be what you can't see, right? And so I guess for me I've had to try and be it anyway and it's not easy but I really do hope it makes it easier for the next generation of kids who have really big dreams and deserve to see themselves in the spaces that they should be occupying, you know? It was such an amazing cover and the story was beautiful. And like I said, your Instagram summing it up, the caption was just so beautifully written. And of course, you are a writer. You recently did write a book, which is very exciting. Uh, You wrote the book Unbounded, and it's all about limiting beliefs and, you know, transcending them to transform your life. You've touched on it throughout this chat, that there were some limiting beliefs that you had to let go of to kind of get where you are today. Can you chat about some of them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, writing Unbounded was such a privilege because I, I kind of wrote a book that I think is missing from global literature and a book that really would have helped me growing up. I know that growing up, there are so many different books that I pulled survival gems from that helped me through hard times. So I knew I wanted to create that with my own. And I guess it, it talks about navigating the complexities of identity. And the way I've done it is I've kind of used myself as a case study. (laughs) And so my background's in psychology. So I studied psychology, studied management, and the book combines psychological academic research with my lived experiences with racism, sexism, homophobia, mental health issues, growing up with financial insecurity, and my spiritual beliefs as someone who was, you know, raised in a Christian, very staunchly Christian household, but has since come to form her own beliefs. So the book combines a lot of all of that. And so every single chapter is a verb. It's a doing word. It's an action that I think will change your life. And the way I teach it is by putting forward a challenge I've had in my life. So for example, chapter one talks about racism. Chapter four talks about queer phobia. And then I talk about that action and how I overcame that particular challenge. So I think it's something that no matter who you are, you don't have to be a queer woman of color to get it. You know, I've had 50-year-old men message me and tell me that they found value in something or people who lost their home when they grew up. I recently had an actor in America tell me that he, after listening to chapter one, stopped and journaled and worked through some limiting narratives of his own. And it's like, this book is about connection. It's about common ground in our human experiences. You know, it's just a beautiful thing that some of these experiences I've shared they're experiences that aren't always heard. So it's nice to be able to give them a spotlight. Isn't that so amazing that your book and your story can touch people from all across the world, all different ages, all different races? Like, I think that's amazing. Don't you? I do. But you know, I think everybody's story has that ability. Like everyone has a, you have a story to tell Marissa. Everyone has a story to tell. And the whole point of this book is teaching people to tell their own stories, to rewrite their own stories, to know how to find the gems in their hard experiences so they can hopefully use it in their circles of influence. So it is beautiful that I get the privilege of doing that, but I hope that my book helps other people do it too because everyone's story has value and, and something to learn, you know, we can all learn from. 
You also do write a column for Nine Honey. Is writing something that has always been a big part of you? Was it really different writing the book? Like how did this all come about? I've always been a writer. Like when I was a kid, I was eight when I got my first journal and I used to write everything from songs to stories. I even went through a phase. I don't know what I watched at eight years old to be aware that this is a job, but I went through a phase where I wanted to design ads for like brands and things, which is so funny that now I'm in this job. I literally drew an ad for Kmart and clothes. I've got it in this journal at eight years old. I designed an ad campaign and it was a weird kid, like just very (laughs) like wanted to be everything. But, you know, I would write from a very young age and it started off as journaling and I kind of disconnected with it. And then at 19, I went through a very crushing heartbreak. And my dad told me, Maria, right, like when you're a psychologist, you'll use this in your practice. You'll refer back to your journals to help people. And whilst I'm not a psychologist, I ended up using a lot of my journals in my book. But before writing the book, I'd write this column and I'm a very big Sex and the City fan. Like I like to think I'm like my own version of living my Carrie Bradshaw life. And, you know, I write this column and it's about love. It's about sex. It's about social issues, feminist issues. And it's very easy for me to just pump it out when I'm passionate about something. I can write like the entire column in 20 minutes because I'm writing from the heart, writing a book is so not that. It is so (laughs) hard. And I have so much respect for people who've done it, especially when it's your own stuff. To sit and write, say, 6,000 words a chapter, like it was very challenging, especially working through a lot of my personal stuff. So I was doing it whilst I was in therapy. And, you know, it's just, it's not easy, but it took me, I'd say, six months to write the book. That is still pretty quick, but writing is, you know, we all have our thing. Writing's my thing but I did find it very challenging for many reasons, but I'm so glad that I did it. I love that you shared that little snippet about your childhood and designing an ad for Kmart because everyone I've talked to has mentioned just there was something about their childhood. There was some little sign that was going to show what they were going to be when they grew up. Like it was so weird. Like stylists were drawing clothes. I used to make my own little radio show when I was 10 years old on GarageBand. Like it's ridiculous. It's crazy. (laughs) That's amazing. Like and using the technology as well. That's so like that's amazing. Mine's weird like because the thing is the thing about mine is if I tomorrow told you I was quitting everything to become a clown. There was a sign of that in the book because I've literally written, I want to be a clown. And I designed a clown outfit. For, it's so weird. Like, but I think like I wanted to be everything, but there were a few things that were those clues, like writing, journalism, news reports. Like I wrote a news report on for September 11th because, you know, lived through that. I was a kid. There's a news report in that journal where I've written what's happened and like an article on it. So there were signs and acting and things like that where I'm like, huh, like she kind of knew, like your inner child knew. And that's what I want people to do by reading the book, I think, they will connect with their inner child and it does ask them to sort of remember, okay, what sparked you before the world told you what you could and couldn't do? What did your inner child want to do? So it feels nice to get to a point where I'm tapping into her and I'm doing it. So, yeah. I love that. And I want to pick your brain as someone who is very embedded into, you know, the media industry and landscape at the moment where do you see the media industry going? You know, it's really evolved over the past few years, even just with the likes of TikTok and, you know, news coming out on 
Instagram instead of on the news first. Where do you see the industry going? Well, I'm, yeah, so I've, I've sort of burst into the media scene in a very untraditional way. And I'm a little bit more of what you'd say, like a hybrid talent is in that a big part of my business model is social and digital and, and being sort of with brands and, and very commercially driven that way. But I'm also in traditional formats in that now I do a lot with TV. So I have a bit of a foot in the door for the future and what has been the traditional model for power and media. And what I think and what I know is going to happen is traditional media is going to have to find a way to commercially align with digital and social because people who they, like their customers, people who are watching TV, well, they're actually not anymore. (laughs) They're kind of moving more towards streaming services and online and social. And so for traditional media to keep its weight and relevancy and hold consumer interest, it is going to have to find a way to work in tandem with the new channels because that's where their customers are going and you've got to listen to the people. So that's why my work and my media portfolio is very blended and I I like to do both and I want to leverage both and we have some really great things coming up which are doing that so watch the space lots coming up but it's it's going to change it is going to change because the traditional formats like tv magazines and things it doesn't have the power it did say 10-15 years ago. I totally agree with that and even I think it was the start of this week you debuted on the project as a guest host last week. It's Monday. Yeah. I'm getting my day swings wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so many of my friends and I, we were sharing the clips of you on the show, but from social media. We weren't like sending photos of us watching it, being like, tune in now. We're like, oh my gosh, look at what Maria said on the project. And and funnily enough, the clip that aired was a segment where I was begging Australians not to drink piss. So <laughs> like I just think it's like, oh my God, of all the clips you could share. It's so funny. So I, and that was so great. Like I just want to say I loved guest hosting the project. It was so cool. I'll be doing it again, which is really exciting. So I'm loving like hosting TV and it's interesting because a lot of my personal audience is social. So when I did the show with them, it does create a bit of a spike for them because now they're using a talent who's not just TV. It's somebody who's also in social. So see how it works there. It's like, it, it makes sense to do that because now you're saying like, you know, like a younger demographic is like, oh, well, we're watching it. We're sharing the clips. We're tuning in. Whereas maybe their audience was a little bit more traditional. Maybe it was like an older demographic who watches telly, whereas now they're going to be tapping into younger consumers. So Those are the sorts of things I think media outlets need to pay attention to. Yeah, definitely. And even too with, you know, the rise of TikTok as well, it's traditional celebrities aren't really a thing anymore. You know, we've got these social media stars that are so specific to these niche pockets of content. And it's like, how will we start seeing these people more and more in traditional media forms? Yeah, well, and and you will. It just comes down to traditional mediums recognising the the value and not don't don't do that thing that typical giants like whether it's in business or media what a lot of powerful traditional players do is sometimes they'll bury their heads in the sand when new trends emerge or new ways of working and kind of hope like oh this is not going to have any legs this has legs so you got to get onto hybrid talent and it works and from a lot of my partnerships like when I do stuff on socials TV supports it when I do telly I have social support. And it's just good for everybody. So it's it's something to, to think about. 
It's definitely the way of the future. Now, while I have you, I do need to pick your brain about how we can all become better publicists when working with talent such as yourself. So, for example, say you've got a brief for a new product. What makes a good brief from a PR agency when you're creating content? I can give you a really good example of this. So what makes a really good brief is one that has enough information where you as a PR agency, you are getting your key messages out there and it's clear. Don't overcomplicate it because, you know, sometimes people will send briefs that are so heavy. It doesn't need to be that complex and, and information heavy. It's like, what are the key messages? What exactly do you need the content to look like in terms of specifications? But it has to have a little bit of wiggle room where the creators you're working with can bring their authentic voice and tone and style of content to it. So for example, someone's like, you know, I'm just thinking there might be a creator whose entire shtick is comedy and making like banter or like, you know, pov videos and that's their thing. If you want them to do a beauty tutorial, get the key messages across and say, hey, this is what we need people to walk away knowing. But you can't brief their content and say, we want a video where you're doing this and this and this and this is how it's going to look. No, give them the key messages, let the content take an organic form, and that's going to have the best engagement. So don't brief a beauty video to them. Let them get in there and do a pov piss take, but get the key messages across and you will tap into their audience. So I'm an ambassador for L'Oreal, L'Oreal Paris, and I'm currently working on their campaign with Plan International, which is standing up against street harassment. And so we talk about different forms of street harassment and how to take, you know, this online training, which is super quick, it's 15 minutes, and you learn these techniques to um, safely intervene if you're witnessing it as a bystander. And so they wanted a reel and, and a video to sort of share like this message, but they didn't overbrief me. And I was actually able to bring an organic lived experience that's actually just happened that people wouldn't even associate with street harassment. It was something that happened with my brother and his partner at World Pride. And I was able to bring that in and tell my own story in my own way and get the key messages across. Whereas if I got on and said, they, like they briefed me to say it a certain way, deliver it a certain way. It's not going to land because you're just paying for a billboard. That's not what PR is paying for. You're paying for a person and their ability to tell a story and help you get your messages across, you know? So I thought that was done really well. And it's, it's important to make sure you don't lose the person that you actually need them to get your message across. I think it comes down to, to the job of a publicist finding the right key spokespeople for their brands and finding the people that, you know, can naturally speak to their products. I think there is this huge thing for authenticity in the market too, especially on social media. Yeah, massively. And as a PR agency, like your role is to find the right people. It's exactly what you said. Like it doesn't make sense to pick someone who doesn't organically align to the values or the key messages because then you will have to overbrief them because it's not them. That's not in their brand DNA. So that's a really great point, Marissa. I think it's finding the right people. Now you have already slayed your way through 2023. I would love to know what is next for you for the year. Oh my gosh. How crazy is that? Like it's, it's, I cannot believe some of the things I've gotten to do in the first three months of this year. And that includes two shows that people don't know about yet. So watch this space. I Ooh. am very excited to, I know <laughs> I'm so excited to tease <laughs> two new projects will be announced. 
One is I'll be making my acting debut. So I'm very excited about that. So I have done acting lessons growing up. I did them over the summer, loved it. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to get done with the book first so I can commit to it. So you'll be seeing more from me when it comes to acting. There's another really great show that everyone's going to go, of course, when I want to tell y'all. But there's also something in the realm of fashion coming up from me and another show that is led by yours truly. So there's quite a few things in the works and I'm so grateful that I get to live a life where I'm creating and directing and in charge of these projects that feel true to me, that feel aligned. And then obviously, you know, the causes that I really believe in. So I've just, you know, been working with witchery and the ovarian cancer, white shirt campaign. My great-grandmother passed away from it. So that's happening. Um, There's just a lot of beautiful things that are coming up. Um, you can expect me to just be really creative, be everywhere and be true to myself. So it'll be good. I thought you were just going to have a busy first three months of the year, then take the rest of the year off. <laughs> Could have done that. <laughs> oh, no, I know. I, I said, to, I keep saying, I was like, oh, I'll take a week off. It is now, a week off is now scheduled for October. And it was at the start oh, of the year, my it was like February, <laughs> March, April, May. And I'm like, okay, October seems to be like a, reasonable time for me to have some time off but I love it like I love my work and my life and I'm very grateful to be living it I do find time to rest but I mean like I feel very lucky to be have have designed a life that I don't want to take time off from I just I love it well I am so excited to keep watching this space from you for the next how many more months of the year do we have? We have eight, eight more months. Now before I love you and leave you, I have five quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay, your favorite PR event ever. Oh, this is hard. <laughs> My favorite PR event ever. Oh my gosh, I feel like I just, okay, I will say my favorite PR event. Oh, that's technically not a PR event, but there's a PR element. Can I say an event that's not really like a PR event, but it's like. Yeah, of course you can. Okay. It, it was, it was an event where there was, there, there was an event where there was a lot of PR. It was very recent. It was Glamour on the Grid for the Australian Grand Prix. And I had the absolute privilege of being an Alfa Romeo ambassador. And I worked with Jeton Couture to design a dress modeled on the Alfa Romeo Tonali. And it was covered by Vogue. And I just felt incredible. I was like, how have I gotten to a place in my career where I get to work with literally the best of the best, Alfa, Vogue, Jeton, And I just felt amazing. I wore this sexy dress. I was happy. I had fun. And the whole time I was just present and thinking, lucky me. You're living my dream, I just have to say. (laughs) What is your favourite podcast? I mean, other than this one, of course. Other than this one, I would say my favourite podcast is Oprah's Super Soul Sunday because, you know, one day I would like to be, I'm not going to say Australia's Oprah because I, I don't, I don't do that thing of saying, I want to be somebody else in that version of it. I want to be Australia's Maria Fatil. Um, very inspired by Oprah. So she's, I always find, you know, wisdom in her podcast. I love that answer. What is your favorite social media platform? 
favorite social media platform is TikTok because it is my most unhinged and it's where I don't have to be polished and I can just be the real, real me. And you would be surprised how many people when they come up to say hello, it's not like, oh, I saw you on Miss Universe or TV or your book. Oh, I saw that weird TikTok video you posted and I follow your weird TikToks. And I'm like, cool. I like that. Then you like the real me. (laughs) Uh, What is your most visited website? My most visited website, honestly, it's probably, I don't really do a lot on websites, but I probably am very often on Nine Honey because I post columns on it like twice a month. So I'm usually like keeping up with what else is on there, my own columns, but I will say my most visited style of website at the moment is house and interiors because I'm renovating a new house and that's where my mind is right now. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And my very last question for you, a controversial question, I might add, what is your screen time? Don't, because I recently got the stats and I was like, this is not okay. My screen time is about 11 hours a day. Oh my gosh. But you know what? Can I just say, uh, this is my work. This is my work though. I'm constantly on emails. Sometimes it's just up. Like I'm trying to like fully just explain it. I I work entirely from my phone. So maybe I'm just a really hard worker. <laughs> oh God, it's bad, isn't it? <laughs> that is a it's it's one of the highest I've ever heard, but I will give you that. I will give you that. <laughs> You're a hard worker. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Maria, for coming on today. I so appreciate your time and I have just had the most amazing time chatting to you and I could honestly record this podcast forever just so we can hang out, but I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Oh, I love that. It's like, can we not schedule in like a weekly coffee catch-up? Girl, what's going on? What's the tea? I loved it. Thank you, Marissa. You were so... (laughs) beautiful and I've appreciated how kind you've been and you've asked really wonderful questions and I hope you know people listening I feel like I hope you got some value and if you listen like tell me what you think I love hearing from people thank you for listening to the press office with Kate and Co PR please subscribe rate and review via your favorite podcast app and please give us a follow like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR